Amen. Thank you very much for that. And at this time, if you would uh, take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn it to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 9. Making our way through this chapter, um, it's 50 verses, so it's taking us a little bit of time to get through this chapter, but we're getting there. Um, Mark chapter number 9, and if you, uh, when you get there, if you can find uh, verse number 38, and as you're looking for that passage, if you would, if you're physically able to do so, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, out of respect and reverence for the holy word of God. Mark 9, and we'll be just reading verses 38 through 42, and those are the verses we'll be uh, dissecting uh, as we go through this message today. Uh, Mark 9, 38 through 42 says this, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, ye, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Father, we thank you for your word here. We thank you for the words in red, which indicate that these are worthy indeed words of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would use this passage in our lives, uh, Lord, to help us to have the right mindset towards others. And uh, I ask that uh, you would speak to us and help us to have ears to hear and a heart to receive and to obey what your word says here. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the disciples, last Sunday, if you recall, if you were here and if you weren't, uh, in the previous verses, we saw how the disciples had an argument. And uh, they were arguing about something. They were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Remember that? And we, we, we talked a little bit about pride in all of that. Well, as Jesus goes and corrects them and in verses 35 and verse uh, and 36 and 37, and, and uses a child uh, to explain the importance of uh, the, the priorities in the kingdom of God. Uh, John, here in verse 38, I think could be that he wanted to just change the subject. It was like, yeah, we got chided, and so let me, let me try to bring this around to something a little more positive, to where maybe you'll be proud of us. And so... Um, he, uh, he says in verse number 38, Well, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him. We forbade him. Uh, in other words, didn't we do a good job, Lord? And uh, trying to uh, get the, the subject changed, changed to something positive that the disciples were doing. Well, it obviously didn't go so well, his attempt to try to change the subject. And, uh, and, and to avoid getting chided again, uh, they, they did get chided again. Uh, now, as we 
here, go through this passage, we're going to see that there was a, a wrong mentality towards uh, dealing with others. Um, and maybe, maybe you've heard a cynical minister say this in jest, and it is not the best joke ever. Um, but uh, maybe you've heard someone say, the ministry would be great if it weren't for people. Um, and maybe you've heard of this one. Frederick the Great said this, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. <laughs> now, obviously, I haven't gotten to know enough people because I don't exactly love my dog. So, <laughs> um, Look, the, the ministry is much more than paperwork and screen time. It's people work. And, uh, and really, there wouldn't be ministry at all if it weren't for people. And uh, the title of the message today is A Lesson on People Work. Jesus has told us to serve people. I remember in the upper room, if you recall there, when Jesus uh, took a towel and a basin and, 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 and bent down and began to wash the disciples' feet, the lowliest of the lowly jobs Jesus was willing to do. And then he teaches his disciples a lesson and saying, look, you've seen me do this. You need to follow my example. And then he said in John 13, 17, he says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So in other words, look, ministry is all about serving others. And uh, by the way, this isn't just for those who work in full time ministry. This is for everyone in our church. Every believer needs to be serving others. Uh, well, I don't want to. I, I like to just kind of sit back and, and do my own thing. No, no, we're called to serve others. Uh, look, every member should be a minister. Every saint should be a servant. And in doing so, we should know how to deal with others. Because as believers in the Lord Jesus, we are to love and serve people. Well, in this brief passage of Scripture in Mark chapter number 9 from verses 38 through 42, uh, Jesus teaches three important lessons on people work, how to deal with people. And so uh, let's look at them today and learn how to deal with people in a more Christ-like manner as a result. First, let's look at a skewed perspective. A skewed perspective. In verse 38, John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him because he followeth not us. First, in this perspective, we see, number one, John's misunderstanding. So John saw, John maybe and a few of the other disciples saw another guy, another man, who was casting out devils in the name of Christ. And he was not one of the disciples, not one of the twelve. And so John, uh, now who, who was this guy? We, we don't know what his name was. Uh, likely it could have been either one of John the Baptist's disciples um, or one of the 70 that Jesus sent out. But uh, evidently this man was doing the work of Christ in the name of Jesus and in the right, doing the right things in the right way. And uh, he was mad about the fact, though, that this guy was not part of his group. Notice in this verse, in verse 38, we see two times he says, a certain phrase. He says, uh, he followeth not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not us. So two times in this verse alone, 
John is upset about the fact that this guy is out doing the work, but he's not part of our little clique. He's not part of our little group, and therefore uh, we forbade him. Aren't you um, so happy? Well, um, not only uh, was he mad about the fact that this guy was not part of their group and he followeth not us, but what's more is that this guy was successful. Verse 38, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And that probably had to get under John's skin. Because, I mean, he's not part of our little group, and he's out successful doing the work of God. And here's why it was so frustrating to him. Because earlier, if you remember, the disciples tried to cast out an unclean spirit in just a few verses before. And they were unsuccessful in doing so. And Jesus said, hey, this kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And, uh, and yet this guy is out there doing it. And so he's being successful. He's seeing the blessing of God upon him, whereas the 12 who were closest to Jesus weren't. So obviously this guy must be out doing the wrong thing. So he had a big misunderstanding here. Now, he proudly said in verse number 38, he said, we forbade him, we forbade him. And I imagine he kind of puffed his chest out when he said that. But don't worry, Lord, we forbade him. Like, here's where you could put the gold star. Uh, I'll turn around so it's easier for you to pat me on the back. And, uh, you know, he probably was like the little kid, you know, who said, I'm bringing home a baby bumblebee. Won't my mommy be so proud of me? Okay. I was, I was debating on whether to actually sing that. I, I can't get the tune right, so I'm not going to actually sing that song. But, but that was certainly what he was thinking when he said this, like, hey, we did this. Aren't you so proud of us? And that's not at all the case. Jesus was not proud of them because he had a skewed perspective. So we see John's misunderstanding, and then let's look at Jesus' message here in verse number 39. Jesus said, forbid him not. Like, that's not what I wanted you to do. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. So look, in, in, in essence, the message Jesus had for John and for all of us is that we should not prevent people from doing good. If someone can work a miracle in his name, it is sufficient proof of attachment to the Lord, and, and he should not be prevented. When he said that lightly, that can lightly speak evil of me at the end of verse number 39, here's what Albert Barnes says about that. He said, the meaning of this is that he to whom God gave the power of working a miracle, by that gave evidence that he could not be found among the enemies of Jesus. So we should not count these people as our enemy, but as our friends. Paul had to come to the same point in his life and ministry. If you would kind of hold your place here in Mark 9 and go to Philippians chapter number 1 real quickly. I want to show you a, another passage uh, that Paul had to come to, and, and, uh, and he did understand the message that Jesus was trying to convey to John, the disciples, and all of us that, uh, look, you don't have to be part of our clique in order to be right with God. Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 12, it says this, 
But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Now, what are the things that happened unto him? Well, uh, Paul was placed in, under house arrest in a Roman, um, under Roman uh, um, authority, and uh, he was attached and chained to two Roman soldiers who were attached to him for six hours. Uh, they had a six-hour rotation. Every six hours, another soldier would go and say, okay, it's my turn to go and be chained to the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul had two people every day, um, uh, 24-7, who were uh, bound to him. And uh, no doubt they got witnessed to. And, and many of them, no doubt, got saved and, and, and perhaps uh, joined him in the prayers and joined him even in, hey, Paul, what are you writing today? Oh, I'm writing to the church at Philippi. Oh, neat. Tell me about that church. And, and, and no doubt that happened. But to, he says in verse number 12, I, I want you to understand, look, the things that happened to me have actually caused the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because see, when the apostle Paul was not in prison. He was out doing the work of God and everybody was like, hey, just let Paul do it. You know, he, he's got this. You know, we can kind of sit back on the sidelines and in the bleachers and, and watch. But now that Paul's in prison, it's like, hey, we better step up. Somebody's got to take his place. And so that's what was happening. Well, let's keep reading here in verse number 14. Or verse 15, he says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. He's like, there's, there's no doubt that there's people who are preaching with the wrong motives in mind. And uh, they're preaching of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. Verse 16, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Look, the bottom line is Christ is preached. And then he says, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So do they do it the way I would like them to do it? No. Are they doing it in the right manner? Well, you know, I'll let the Lord be the judge of that. I'm just going to simply rejoice in the fact that the gospel is getting preached. And so if you go back to Mark chapter number nine, flip back over there, uh, the apostle Paul uh, got to the same, got to the understanding that, look, you don't have to be part of my little clique to be used of God. And uh, look, some of you may know this, that uh, I ride a motorcycle. And uh, this past week has been primo motorcycle riding weather. And so on Tuesday, I got the motorcycle out and Mark and I tried to get that thing started. We eventually did. And uh, we went on a little ride to the gas station <laughs> and back. And uh, I rode it a few times. But uh, one thing that I kind of forgot about that I was reminded when I started riding is every time you ride past somebody else who's riding a motorcycle, you kind of wave at each other. Now, now, don't get me wrong. It's not like, hi, hello. No, no, no. It's not like that. It's very cool. It's, hey. Yeah, okay. So just, just to be clear on that, okay? We, we wave at each other, but it's, but it's not awkward, okay? I promise. Uh, but we, we just kind of like throw out a hand and acknowledge one another and kind of like, you know, 
yo, what's up? You know, hey, you're cool just like me, you know. Uh, but we don't, we don't do nonsense stuff, okay? Promise. So look, there, there's a camaraderie that we writers have with one another. We pass each other, and uh, we just acknowledge that, hey, we're, we're part of the, the brotherhood of motorcycle riders, okay? Now, we don't, we, we don't say, hey, look, that guy doesn't have very many chrome accents on his bike. I ain't going to wave at him. We don't say, well, he doesn't have a Harley, so I'm not going to acknowledge him, and I'm thankful because I don't have a Harley. <laughs> uh, look, he doesn't have a leather jacket on or a you know, cool emblem on the back of his jacket, so I'm just going to ignore him. No, it doesn't matter. You can be you know, whatever. As long as you have a machine with just two wheels, you're part of the cool club. Now, now here, here's the deal. Look, if a, if a bunch of people can unite and have a brotherhood around a machine with just two wheels, how much more should we unite and encourage one another around serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, now don't get me wrong. This is not to say that I would throw out doctrine for the sake of unity. Okay? If you were here on Wednesday night, you'll know that I said that we need to make sure that doctrine comes first and that we align doctrinally. But, but look, just because there are some differences doesn't mean I need to be rude and obnoxious and forbid them. No. Um, we, we are to hold firm our stand on truth, but, but just because someone who's not in our church is doing something for the Lord in the right manner, we should absolutely be kind and gracious and encouraging. And we need to avoid both ditches in this. Uh, John had the, hey, you know what? If you're not part of our little group, if our little clique... And this can happen in a church, too, by the way. You know, hey, we've been here for years and decades. And all these new people are coming in, and they're getting all the opportunities, and they're seeing some success. Well, they must not be doing it right. No, that, that, that can't happen in a church. And we need to avoid that. But John was on this ditch where it's like, hey, you've got to be part of our little group. And, and if you're not, then you must not be right with God. Well, we got to be careful not to swing the other way so far to say, well, look, um, hey, just as long as you say you love Jesus, then I'm your friend. Um, we need to, again, have doctrinal truth and let that be our main thing, but, um, but we also can be nice and gracious. Uh, remember here in Mark, number nine, Mark chapter number 9 here, uh, this guy was casting out devils in the name of Christ. He, he wasn't doing it in his own name. He wasn't doing it in the name of someone else. He was doing the right thing in the right manner. And uh, so he just simply wasn't part of John's little uh, group and little clique. So we absolutely can be thankful for others and should be thankful for others who are doing the right things the right way, even if they are not part of our little group. Because look, there's no competition in the kingdom of God. We're not competing against one another. Remember our memory verse is we are to strive together for the faith of the gospel, not strive against each other for the faith of the gospel. Do you see the difference? Oh, look, we're all on the same team. So do I want the other churches of like faith and practice in our area to grow and be blessed? Yes. Yes. There, there should be no jealousy or envy in the kingdom of God towards one another. Remember our theme from last year about looking unto Jesus? 
because we patiently run our race. Uh, we, who, are we, who are we to be looking to as we run our race? To the guy in the next lane? Like, why is he running faster than me? That's not fair. Oh, he's running downhill. No wonder. I have to run uphill. That's not fair. See, our eyes are in the wrong place. We should be looking to the Lord Jesus and patiently run our race and rejoice if others are doing well in the journey as well, in their race. So it's been said this, you don't have to be identical twins to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. I know that, uh, how, how many of you are twins, are a member of a twin, okay? There's a couple, Miss um, Rebecca is too, my aunts are twins, uh, but uh, my brother are not twins. Um, we can still be brothers. And uh, we don't have to all be the same and, and alike. And, and aren't you glad there's only one of you? Because the world could only handle one of you and one of me. Okay? So look, no person, no group, no church has a monopoly on the name and power of Jesus. And so let's be sure to avoid the skewed perspective and critical spirit that John had and be thankful for those who are serving the same Lord in His name, even if they are a bit different from us or don't belong to the same little group that I'm in. Again, not to say that we throw away doctrine and, and, and say, who cares about all those uh, non-essentials? Look, if it's in the Bible, it's essential. Okay, But um, we can still be cordial and we can still be gracious and uh, we can still throw out a cool, hey, brother, um, and uh, we, we, we know the Lord, and that's the most important thing. All right, so we see a skewed perspective. But then number two, uh, Jesus moves on and tells us and gives us a special promise. In verse number 41, he says, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Remember, the disciples just got arguing, done arguing about who would be the greatest and they no doubt thought that to be rewarded in the kingdom, you must do great and mighty things like casting out devils. And you, you had to do that in order to be great. Now, while that was wonderful and very needed, especially in that day, Jesus says here in this verse that even the smallest acts of service towards the Lord's people will be rewarded if done with the right attitude and the right motive. Look, changing a baby in the nursery will be rewarded someday. Texting someone to encourage them in the Lord will be rewarded. Actually praying for somebody will be rewarded. Preparing a lesson, helping in a class, serving food, cleaning the kitchen after an event, setting up tables and chairs, cooking for a potluck, practicing an instrument uh, in preparation for a service, running the soundboard and computer and the live stream that uh, is uh, moody at times. Um, Inviting someone to church, serving as a deacon, serving on the mission committee, serving on the board of directors, or serving someone a glass of water. Look, what seems insignificant here on earth is actually quite significant in heaven. Look, God takes copious notes and doesn't forget any service done in his name, especially to those who belong to him. Hebrews 6 and verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says, For God is not unrighteous. To forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, no matter how small it is. Little is much when God is in it. If you're doing it for Him and for His people especially. We're told in other places in the Scriptures that motive matters as well as the action. Here's a, a fun fact uh, for you regarding the New Testament. Uh, the city of Eph the church at Ephesus received two letters, and it's the only church to receive two letters in the Scriptures. You're thinking, wait a minute, didn't Corinth get two letters? The one thing about Ephesus, or the church at Ephesus, was that it received two letters from two different authors, one from the Apostle Paul and one from the Apostle John. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, one of the things that he encouraged them was to do the will of God from the heart. In other words, as you serve others in the church and you perform the will of God for your life, that you're doing it not just because you have to, not out of obligation, but because you love the Lord and you love the people that you're serving. To do it from the heart, not from obligation, not because you're just going through the motions, but because you love the Lord and you love others. So to do the will of God from the heart, well, how did they do? Well, if you uh, hold your place here in Mark 9 here, just we'll do another field trip over to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. And uh, look how this church did. Did they continue to do the will of God from the heart? Did they have the right motives as they served the Lord? Well, let's find out what they did. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know thy works and thy labor. And thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. He said, I, I, I know your works. I, I have seen it all. All the big things, the little things, and everything in between. I know the service that you've done. Verse 3, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. They were faithful. But verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So they were doing all the right things. But somewhere along the line, the motive got changed. Somewhere along the line, they just started going through the motions. And it was just like, oh, yeah, here's another Sunday. I guess I got to go teach. I guess I got to go preach a sermon. I guess I got to go lead singing or play an instrument or uh, do my ministry because I always do and, and I have uh, left that love that God wanted me to have for Him and for others. And I just want to encourage us today as we consider this thought to make sure that we stay faithful doing what God has called us to do, but to do it from the heart. To make sure that our motives are right as we serve the Lord. And if we're doing it just so people will see me, and it's really hard when you're the preacher, you know, say, hide me behind the cross. I mean, maybe I should get a big cross pulpit here and 
So it literally hides me, and all you can do is hear my voice. I know you can't separate the messenger from the message, but, but, but I don't want it to be about me. I want, I want to honestly serve the Lord from my heart because I love him, and I, and I love the people that I get to serve. And I think that as time goes on, that will be noticed and, and felt. I want to encourage all of us to do that. Um, here's, here's another verse as we flip back over to Mark chapter 9. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not be weary in well-doing. And here's that special promise, For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So here Jesus says, look, it doesn't have to be big and glamorous and, and uh, spectacular. A, a little thing. Giving somebody a glass of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, he's not going to lose his reward. And this is a reference to uh, the judgment seat of Christ that one day we're all as believers going to have to stand before. You can't get out of that particular appointment. That's not going to get canceled because of COVID. Okay? That's going to happen someday. And you're going to have to give an account. And, and that's going to be a day that is going to be all our works are going to pass through a fire. The things that we've done with the right motives and the right heart, those are the things that are going to come through as gold, silver, and precious stones. But the things that we did for our own glory and for our own, uh, so people would notice us, those are going to be the wood, hay, and stubble that are going to burn up in that fire. I want to encourage us to remember that as we uh, consider dealing with others. So we see here a skewed perspective. We see a special promise. And then thirdly, we see number three, a serious priority. In verse number 42. And this is a very sober verse. It says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. The lessons that Jesus is trying to impart here regarding people work takes a very serious turn here. He talks about, yeah, let's not forbid people doing the right thing the right way uh, just because they're not part of our little clique and let's have more of a team, uh, a team mentality here. And then, and then he talks about this promise that, look, you don't have to do anything big. Just be faithful in the little things. But now he says, look, if you offend a little one that believe in me, there's tremendous repercussions for you. And with this, I want to look first at the, first of all, at the crime. In verse 42, it says, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. What, what's the crime mentioned here? Well, the word offend means to cause to stumble, to trip up. So it's, it's possible then that the way that I live and the way that you live will cause somebody to stumble in their relationship with God. And so we need to remember that the way that I live doesn't just affect me and doesn't just imp impact my life. 
Like my actions, my attitudes affects not just me, it affects my wife. It affects my children. As a pastor, it affects our staff. It affects our church family. So I better be sure to live in such a way as to not lead others to sin. That's for me. But guess what? That's not just for me. That's for you too. How you live affects your spouse. How you live affects the people that live in your home. How you live impacts this church family as well and your workplace and your school. It, it impacts others. John Phillips said, said that very well, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to say what he said because um, it's a, this is a delicate thing to, to go through and to consider, especially as we think of how little ones are offended. And uh, what does it mean, little ones? Does it mean little children who believe in the Lord? Yeah, I believe it means that. Does it, mean, does it mean spiritual babies in Christ, those who are brand new Christians? Yeah, I believe it means that too. Little ones, those who are innocent, those who don't quite know, uh, who haven't been around the block yet. And they're vulnerable and they're uh, susceptible to being led astray. Here's what John Phillips says about this verse. He said, how fearful is the punishment for those who rob a child of its innocence, who tamper with its fragile guilelessness, who are guilty of luring them into child pornography, who be, befoul a child to gratify their own outrageous lusts, who undermine a child's simple faith or who betray its trust. And what about those more sophisticated destroyers who occupy the halls of learning, who sit in the seat of the scornful in schools and colleges, who systematically set about to undermine the belief of their students in the Word of God. And there are many who have uh, led people astray and caused uh, children and others to stumble in their faith and in their relationship with God because of their sinful behavior. May it not be so in any of our lives. I was sickened to read a, an article, and I don't have a picture of it. I don't really want to put it up there anyway. There's a pastor on the East Coast who's just a year older than me who was arrested on child pornography charges. How? I know how because the devil's after this guy because if he can get me to stumble, guess what? It will cause everybody else to stumble. And I know that I'm not the, you know, please don't put me on a pillar or a pedestal because um, I'm going to probably fall off it from time to time because I am human. But I don't ever want to fall to that extent. Please, Lord, help me not. Please pray for me. The devil has his sights on me, I know, as well as you. But how sad for a pastor to fall into that, to where... Children are being uh, offended. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. He says, Take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. 
An immature Christian, here's what they think. I've been saved. I've got my fire insurance. I can live my life however I want, and it's nobody's business. They just need to stay out of my life. That's an immature Christian. People should just mind their own business and let me live my own life. But here's what Galatians 5 and verse 13 says. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, but use, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We're not to use liberty to live however we want. We're to use that liberty to serve one another. And one way to serve one another is by living in such a way that would be an encouragement and a blessing and a godly influence to the lives of those who are watching us. Well, no one's watching my life, so it doesn't really matter. You don't know that. I would almost guarantee that there are, there's at least somebody watching you. Some younger person who is looking to you. And uh, don't, don't, don't think that how you live only affects you. No, it, it affects so many others. When David fell in that sin with Bathsheba, how that affected so many other people. Yeah, it affected him, but it affected a whole bunch of others as well. And he never really got over the scars. See, a mature Christian wants to live their lives in such a way to be an example to others. And God has called us, I do want to remind us, God has called us to live lives as an example. 1 Timothy 4 and verse number uh, 12. You don't have to turn there, but I am. 1 Timothy 4, 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, in every area of our lives. We are to be an example. Some of you who are in the fourth quarter of your life, Some of us are in overtime. No. <laughs> but those who are in the last stage of your life, in your golden years, that's not the time for you to say, okay, I'm done. We, we get in the retirement mentality, spiritually speaking, as well, where it's like, hey, I've paid my dues. I've served. I've done everything. But uh, look, one great ministry that you can have is by being faithful and a great example to the younger generation who's coming after you. We need you to be. Don't think that your life, and uh, it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm faithful to the church or not. You, you, you don't know that. People are watching you. I'm watching you. I need your faithfulness. You say, it doesn't really matter what I do. I've already kind of served, and I've, I used to do this, and I used to do that, and, and all those things. Look, your ministry may not look the same as it as it as it did way back then, but God still has a ministry for you today. We, we, we looked at this as we talked about Elijah before he uh, went to glory, that he still had a, 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 a mission to fulfill, a, a, a purpose for his life, a ministry for him to do. And, and he was faithful to do it. And, and we see it right before in that verse that he was taken up into heaven. He was having a conversation with Elisha, the one who would take his place. He was investing in the next generation. And I want to encourage the uh, older generation here to step up and to intentionally, deliberately uh, be a, an example of the believers because others are watching you. And 
The, go, the same goes for all of us, though, because those at work are watching us. Those who live next to us, who uh, we go to school with, are watching us because we're believers. We better make sure that we're not going to cause someone to stumble. So the crime mentioned here is offending the young ones physically and spiritually. And when you do the crime, then obviously you must do the time. Which leads to, secondly, the consequence. In verse 42, he says, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. He were cast into the sea. What's a millstone? Well, we have a photo of one here on the screen. A millstone conjures an image of a round stone with a hole in the middle. And, and a millstone would have weighed in the time of Christ, get this, about 3,300 pounds. 3,300 pounds. And Jesus would have known the width, height, depth, and weight of such a stone and, it would, and how it could crush anyone who came under it as easily as it could grind grain. And he said, it'd be better. Now, we actually don't know exactly what the consequence will be for those who cause an offense in a little one. But we know this, that if there were two choices, Jesus said, okay, we have option one. You being cast into a sea with one of these big millstones hanging around your neck, that's option one. Option two is what the actual form of punishment will be. He said, if you were given the choice, everybody every time would choose option one, the millstone. Because that's how severe the punishment will actually be for those who offend a little one. He said, it would be better. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now, obviously, this goes to show just how serious of a matter this is. It's a real serious priority that we would avoid leading others astray with our lives, that we would instead be a godly example and that we would point them to the Lord instead of hinder their relationship with Christ. May I encourage us to remember this priority as we deal with others. So let's be sure to live our lives in such a way that doesn't offend the little ones. The children, but also the young Christians who just recently got saved, who need us to point them to the way, not say, you know what? You don't need to come back on Sunday night. Wednesday night, yeah, optional. No, we are encouraging them to godly lives, not to, uh, not to go away from the Lord, but to get more faithful in the, in the things of God. So, be sure to live our lives in such a way that doesn't offend the little ones. So dealing with people, people work. Let's avoid the skewed perspective of John that you have to be part of our little group. And if not, we're going to forbid you from doing anything good. Let's avoid that. Let's remember the special promise that, hey, even a cup of water given in my name to someone who belongs to me will be rewarded one day. And so let's be faithful to do the right things with the right heart. And then let's take heed to the serious priority.
Now, I know, I, again, I've spoken to Christians today, but this morning, if you're not saved, today's the day for your salvation. Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose again the third day. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter in less than a month, which celebrates the resurrection of Christ. He did that so that you could spend eternity with him. What are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation for you. We would love nothing more here at Cornerstone Baptist Church than to have a report like I read a moment ago at the beginning of the service as I shared how in Uganda there was a man who had been there who thought he was saved and didn't really understand, but today was the day that he made sure of it. Is there somebody like that today who needs to make sure of their salvation? Today's the day for that. And then for believers, look, God's called us to serve others. God's called us to work with people. You say, I'm not really a people person. Too bad. God's called you to serve people. Um, you may not be as outgoing and, and uh, dealing with people as much as others, but, but God still has put people in your life to minister to. And, and let's make sure that we avoid the wrong mentality that John had, that critical spirit. Let's remember the fact that God wants us to serve, and it doesn't have to be big, enormous, noticeable ways. Even the smallest things are openly rewarded in heaven. And then we better take heed to this sober, serious reminder here about the importance of not offending the little ones. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the time we've had today in your word. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take heed to it. Help us, Lord, as we minister to others to have the right heart towards those who perhaps aren't part of our church or uh, part of our little group, but to be encouraging and, and welcoming and, and gracious and kind. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful in, in serving and in, in the different things that you've given us to do, knowing that one day you will reward us for those. And Lord, help us to do so with the right heart, to not leave our first love, but to maintain a love for you and for those who we are serving, to not get cynical, to not just go through the motions, to not just go through another week, another service, but Lord, to go into it fresh with a, with a real heart of love. And then God, what a sober verse that verse 20, 42 is. Help us to take heed to that. Help me, Lord. To stay right with you. Please help me to stay right with you. And Lord, I pray that you would help others, everybody else in this room, to stay right with you too. So that, Lord, we would not be guilty of offending a young child or a young Christian. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in such a way that would point them to godliness, to holiness, to lives that please you. Help us to take the high road, to not force our own liberty, but to allow you to use us to encourage others for you. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's not sure as if they're a Christian, I pray, Lord, today would be the day they would come to Christ and be saved. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask.